2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Books in Anthropology, a podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Amir Lehman. Today we are talking to Nishant Choksi from the Department of Humanities and Social Sciences at the Indian Institute of Technology in Gandhinagar. Today we'll be talking to him about his book, Graphic Politics in Eastern India, Script and the Quest for Autonomy. It is my great pleasure to welcome him now. Dr. Choksi, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: So perhaps you can start by telling us a little bit about how you came to become an anthropologist and work on this topic in particular.
1: Sure. So I had uh, become interested in anthropology during my time as an undergraduate at the University of Chicago. Anthropology combined my interests in social theory, history, politics, languages, and I was also exposed uh, there to linguistic anthropology, which excited me a lot about this topic in particular, after my undergraduate years, I went to work at an NGO in Western India, where I'm located now actually, called Basha. And, uh, and Basha means language in many of the Northern Indian languages. And one of the focuses of the organization was on documenting languages that didn't have any written script, particularly languages of the indigenous communities known as Adiwasis. So At that time, you know, when I was at that organization, material from many Adivasi communities came from all over India, all over South Asia, and I found that while many Adivasi communities didn't have a script, some such as the Santal community in Eastern India had a very vibrant written tradition. So I wanted to explore how this written tradition was developed among these communities, and its intersection with political and social movements and cultural ideologies. And I pursued this for my dissertation, which eventually became the book.
2: Well, that's fascinating. So then so then you begin the book by then describing your field site. Uh, so what role have these scripts historically played in the region?
1: So Eastern India is one of the most linguistically diverse regions in, in the subcontinent and, and there's been a lot of work done on different languages, but you know little attention attention has been paid to its graphic diversity. The eastern Brahmi or uh, what's also called the Bengali assamese script, has traditionally dominated the graphic landscape in this area. But there are other scripts such as the Utkal script to write Uriya, And later, after Hindi was imposed on some of the areas, the Devanagari script was also used. This area was also one of the earliest to be colonized by by the British. So there's a long history of Roman script, which many missionaries employed to write the vernacular languages of the area, including the Adivasi languages. By the early 20th century, as I discuss in the book, many of the indigenous Adivasi communities also participated in script-making movements, and several communities invented their own scripts. Both before and after the independence of India, script has been used as a way to demand recognition from the state and to further political, social, and cultural agendas. So this is the starting point for the ethnographic investigation of how this kind of Graphic politics operates in, in one small area of West Bengal, where I did my fieldwork, which is located at the heart of the Adiwasi Santal area, on the borders of the states of Jharkhand and Orisha. And each of these states, Jharkhand, Orisha, West Bengal, impose a different graphic and linguistic regime on the Santali-speaking community, which they then respond to. Uh, also through their own
2: graphic innovations. Oh, so then that takes us to your next chapter, where you write that the old chiki script combines nature, ritual, and scientific knowledge. Can you expand on that a bit for us?
1: Sure. So like with many indigenous communities around the world, among the Santals, there's always a struggle with how to incorporate modernity on their terms the modernity that comes with literacy uh, in this case. Literacy came to the community through the Roman and Eastern Brahmi scripts. And this signified in some sense, a kind of modernity entrance into scientific knowledge for the Adivasi communities, which were so-called illiterate, so-called viewed as primitive by the dominant community. Now, when this script started to be learned and and people started going to school, the script makers, many of whom were teachers, felt that what was being lost was the connection to the landscape, to ritual, that had formed the bedrock of non-alphabetic graphic practice, right? Ritual diagramming and other kinds of Practices which were considered and still called as ol or writing in the Santali language that have traditionally been practiced and is still practiced in the community. The founder of Ol Chiki, which is just one of the various Santal scripts, but the most popular, uh, was invented, you know, the founder whose name was Pandit Raghunath Murmu, he and his followers argued that the old Chiki script is a script that's based on scientific and logical principles, right? Uh, he even wrote a grammar for it. It's uh, tied into phonology, etc. And he he said that it can be used just like the dominant scripts for the transmission of modern scientific knowledge. Yet at the same time, you know, unlike the other scripts, the dominant scripts, which are also used to write Santali. Uh, he argued that Olchiki has a connection with nature and ritual that's, you know, encompassed by its diagrammatic quality of its letters, which are iconic of natural features or daily life activities. And he also embedded the script within narratives of the Santal spirits or bongas. So uh, he he made various songs, play different kinds of plays and, and and literature that can be performed about the script and that related the script to, you know, Santal mythology and the stories of the spirits. And this ensured that the script was accepted by a still not fully literate society, right? It was spread predominantly orally, but with this idea of scientific
2: knowledge linked with ritual, and landscape. That's such a fascinating intersection. So then you move on in the next chapter to talk about physical instantiations of Santali scripts in the environment. So, so what function do these end up serving in what you call scale making projects?
1: So if one looks around the built environment of the village where I did my fieldwork a village called Jilimili Mili in southwest West Bengal, one sees the Santali language written in several different scripts. Each of these scripts serve a different function. There's a localized function, right? Like certain scripts are tied to particular genres or used to attract particular audiences. But you know, if one looks at the various uses of script as a whole, one also sees a pattern that fits into a larger politics of Santal autonomy. So this is why I use the heuristic of scale as a Santal project of autonomy is also one of territory. For instance, the Eastern Brahmi script in this area, which is used for Bengali, the dominant language, is associated with the state of West Bengal. The Roman script, on the other hand, uh, which is used for English, but also for various Indian languages, is associated as it is throughout India with a non-region specific national scale. Right, so there's a state scale, there's a national, right, and the old Chiki script is associated with a Santal specific scale that transcends the boundaries of the state, indexing a Santal Santali vision of territoriality that is, you know, encompasses the entire Santali speaking area of eastern India. So these scripts are used by actors in different combinations to scale particular text artifacts. Drama posters for popular dramas are written in Santali in the Eastern Brahmi script, while Santali film posters are written in an Old Chiki Roman combination. and And these different combinations index different audiences, different projected audiences, different networks of circulation, the different orientations of the patrons or those who put up the posters, the sponsoring organizations. Uh, you know, some organizations project themselves, even if they're local, project themselves as all India. And they're usually in Olchiki and Roman script. While political material for the local parties, such as the Jharkhand party, uh, which is a local Adivasi party, are usually in Eastern Brahmi script with Santali and Bengali. So the variable use of, of different scripts and multiple scripts to index differing ideas of territory is what you know, I, drawing on uh, you know linguistic
2: anthropological theory, refer to as the scale making projects. So then this uh, is what takes us to the next chapter where you start to describe how Centali students use scripts to infigure community. So how is it that they achieve this? So
1: schools are important spaces Because they at once serve as a site of literacy and development and on the other as sites of symbolic domination, right, of non adivasi culture and language upon the indigenous communities. So for around two generations now, Santal students have had to navigate this, two to three generations when there's start to be widespread uh, school, people have started to go into school much more. So this chapter looks at the hostels and the non-official spaces of the school inhabited by the students and how they seek to reimagine the space of education by decorating the rooms, doors, and outside surfaces with old Chiki script, which is not used in any of the official uh, signage or official documents of the school, despite at the time when I was there, having a Santali one Santali subject.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail—from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: In addition, they, uh, the students also do prayers to the patron spirits of old Chiki Biddu Chandan and, and other sorts of activities. So Santali, which was once denigrated, and especially by the older people, was still denigrated at that time as a language of primitive and uneducated they were derogatory terms. They wouldn't even call it a language even. Uh, has now through sustained actions, such as those I saw at the school, become aligned with educational spaces uh, through the old Chicky script. And this is, I argue, a way of refiguring language from one of a hierarchically subordinated and, and caste-limited variety, right? The upper caste believing that this is not really a... Uh, even as a language at all, to being recognized as a language community. So Santali is now, if you look at the current situation, taught at local schools, even though there was initially many objections, but now it's widespread, taught at local schools, taught in colleges as an official subject. And old Chiki, in fact, has become synonymous with Santali language education. This is so much so, in fact, that non-Santals refer to the Santali language class as the old chiki subject, right? They don't even use the word Santali, they just use old chiki. Uh, But this creates a sort of realignment even within the Santali community that had a certain adverse effect where it rendered sort of new forms of illiteracy within the Santal community that even if people knew how to read, write, or speak Santali, uh, there was a certain type of inferiority or hierarchy set up between people uh, who were familiar with Olchiki and are not. And and this, this kind of hierarchy based on language didn't exist before. So this is sort of a result of the alignment of the Olchiki script with uh, educational spaces and the discourse of
2: education and literacy. That's fantastic. So then you your penultimate chapter then moves on to Santali media. So what is the Jharkhand imagination that you described there?
1: So the Jharkhand movement uh, as I talk about in the book is one of the oldest movements for adivasi autonomy in India. In the period right before independence, several educated Adiwasi nationalists called for an Adiwasi majority state within the new independent Indian Union. They envisioned the state to be called Jharkhand, you know, the land of the forests. And included in this plan were districts in West Bengal, where I worked, the southern half of the state of Bihar, and the northern districts of Odisha, where Raghunath Murmu lived and developed the old Chiki script. But after a long fight in all these areas, only the southern half of Bihar, so only one third of the you know project, projected demand or the demand for the state was separated in two thousand and became this independent state called Jharkhand. But this the even though the districts where I work didn't get included in the state, the effects of this movement are still visible in the areas of southwest West Bengal where I, and I argue that there is still a Jharkhand imagination that is operating, even though those districts, you know, as I said, were not included. The Jharkhand imagination provides the foundation of the politics of autonomy and is manifested in part through graphic politics. So one of the biggest roadblocks for the formation of Jharkhand during the fight was that there were There was no one language that could be agreed upon as the official language of the state. But Jharkhand activists argued that one could also have a multilingual state, something that had not been done really at an official level in India before. Even Raghunath Murmu, the founder of Old Chiki, argued that Old Chiki should not be the script only for the Santali language, but for all Adivasi languages of Jharkhand. Though by that time, different Adivasi communities had their own scripts. This idea of a multilingual state in which there was no single official language and and languages, the diverse languages were not subordinated to one another was not in the end really what happened when the state came to formation. Uh, Instead, the official language, just like in many multilingual states in India, uh, became Hindi. But in places like West Bengal, where these agendas stayed and remained, even though they were not included in the state, we saw a flowering of different visions of Jharkhand in locally produced media. Santali language appeared in magazines in Eastern Brahmi script, then later in Old Chiki, and newspapers that promoted a regional agenda, local newspapers that were from this, the area, made by adivasis and non-adivasis. Were often multilingual and multiscriptal. The newspapers I analyze in the chapter sought to reach out across ethnic and caste lines, while at the same time not subordinating Santali to Bengali, the dominant language, and also by using old Chiki and Eastern Brahmi scripts together. Magazines promoted a different agenda, although later we began to see also bilingual magazines before magazines and still mostly are monolingual. But now we're starting to see bilingual magazines also in Santali, Chiki, and Bengali and Eastern Brahmi. So these kind of constellations, I suggest, promote a different vision of territory that does not strictly align one language or identity. And I claim this is a, a legacy of the Jharkhand movement and a, a kind of new imagination, alternative imagination to
2: many of the dominant Uh, state discourses. You then uh, conclude with a discussion of these graphic politics. So can you maybe close by sketching out uh, your theoretical contribution and telling us a bit about how your insights can be applied elsewhere?
1: Sure. So in the book, I I argue that there's a utility in examining script apart from language. And looking at the political implications of the alignments and disjunctures between, you know, this idea of script and language. And these implications, these political implications that happen when people align language to script or when they see script and language as different, um, this is what I call graphic politics, right? Graphic politics are shaped by script's materiality visuality and durability. And in this case, the case I'm examining, graphic politics really made possible a politics of autonomy for the Santal community in a way that's different perhaps from other indigenous or marginalized communities in India. Now, once we start looking at things from the perspective of script or from script as a starting point, Right? Once we start looking at what Aaron Devonport and Tony Webster called in a recent review piece, graphic pluralism, I believe we can get a really different perspective on a wide variety of issues. Language revitalization, language maintenance, sovereignty, autonomy, other issues facing indigenous and minority language communities worldwide. Because Scripts link up histories in a different way than spoken language, right? Uh, And scripts provide an alternative notion of modernity that comes from the Indigenous community's experience and also charts a different orientation towards futures, which are not necessarily tied to these dominant logics of developmentalism, right, Um, or these sort of teleological logics of modernity but you know graphic politics as a wider domain is not about just indigenous or minority language communities i mean india as a case has many scripts and the power of script to regiment linguistic identities and territories is very obvious in the case of india but you know it it's operating in many places right for instance in Japan, where I lived for a few years, you know, there's a strong ideology of monolingualism that exists in Japan, even though it's not really a monolingual place. But um, but the attention paid to the graphic diversity, right, is intense. And the choice of kanji, katakana, hiragana, all of these have semiotic uh, Associations with the variety of discourse, right? Tradition, modernity, insider, outsider, identity, gender, etc. So you know there are places like Japan. Uh, work has been done in in, in the Middle East. I, I cite an example from Kurdistan in the book. So there's several different ways in which graphic politics. Uh, and and if one looks at script, can be, uh, you know, can be understood, and what kinds of possibilities for political action are possible, or can occur with scripts. Now, social media is also changing rapidly. I talk about this a little bit in the book, and I've written one article about it that's not in the book about social media and script use in Santali. But there's a lot of literature now about script use in various places in the world on social media platforms, including in Europe. And I think this is, all of this is creating a very vibrant intellectual field for future studies of graphic
2: politics. And yeah, these are really great ideas to, to think with. Um, so before we finish, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're working on now.
1: Sure. So, right now, my work has shifted a bit, and I'm, I'm looking at issues of ecology, displacement, and language. So, I'm looking at how multilingual speech communities and uh, communities' linguistic affiliation is reorganized. Uh, when they've been displaced, right, and their ecological niches have been radically transformed. So my research is actually focusing on, again, Adivasi communities in Western India, so not Eastern India, but in Western India that have been displaced from their homelands uh, where they used to live in the hill and forest regions due to the construction of large dams, I'm investigating when these communities are resettled in mass, communities who speak different languages have a different sort of uh, relation to each other. When they're resettled in the plains, right, a lot of their practices change, their ecologies change, their linguistic ecologies also change in addition to the natural ecologies. Um, I'm looking at what effects this has on linguistic identity and multilingual practice? Most of these communities' languages are not written down. In fact, many of these communities don't have a real, even sense of if you ask them what their language is. Then, you know, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, it's my language of the village," or you know, it's not uh, so standardized as in the case of uh, eastern India, where people have a strong sense of what their language is. Yet the case isn't so simple as language loss, just clear language loss as one might assume, right? So actually language is being sustained in other ways, right? Even in the absence of writing. So I think this perhaps could offer an interesting counterpoint to the notion of graphic politics as developed in the book. And and showing different pathways, right? Graphic graphic has of course important, and many communities have embraced it. But language can be sustained in other ways, right? Uh, beyond the graphic, and you know, I discuss a little bit in the book about how the graphic couldn't even been possible without its integration with various kinds of oral genres. But um, but I'm I'm also trying to see you know, in the absence of, of graphic support and a sense of of, of, uh, a notion, a kind of metalinguistic notion of language, how even then linguistic identity sustained in these situations of rupture and dislocation. Wonderful.
2: Well, Dr. Choksi, we've taken up a lot of your time. Thank you so much for writing this fantastic book and uh, taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks. It's been my pleasure.